Valentine's Day this past year, I had arranged us to go salsa dancing after dinner and I got a little bit tanked. So I stood up and I was like I said, I was, I was a bit lit at the time and I slapped the table and I said, girl, we're going salsa dancing. <laughs> and so I had, these, I had all these slick shoes and I went to step down off the riser and just went flying like because I was lit and the shoes were slick and I stepped down off the steps and I just went flying and my phone like went falling out of my hand and everything. And she walked, she looked at the table of the, of the couple next to us and she said, that's my salsa dancing partner. <laughs> <laughs> What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is my good friend, Paul Carter, better known as Lift Run Bang. Not sure if he's better known as that, but that is his handle on Instagram where he is very popular. That is his website as well. Um, But Paul Carter is somebody who I've respected for a long time just because I've known him as an author in the fitness space. But as I got to know him um, this year actually and just went to a seminar and met him and hung out with him in person recently, I've just come to know that he is a – I guess what I would consider a three-dimensional dude. Like he is more than just muscle and strength, right? Like when you get to know him, he is very intellectual. He's very smart. He's emotionally intelligent. He dives deep into some deep topics, actually talking about relationships, life, the the struggles he's gone through emotionally, spiritually, so on and so forth. So he's a great guy uh, to talk to when it comes to mentoring or just leading as a man in this world. But I think everybody's going to take away a lot from this episode because – You know, we got on the show and most people would figure we're going to talk about bodybuilding and powerlifting because he was a very high-level competitor um, in both of those areas. He did bodybuilding. He's done powerlifting. He excelled in both of those. He has coached in both of those, and he has written about both of those. But we got into some different topics. We talked a lot about writing. We talked a lot about, um, again, going back to that emotional intelligence, relationships, your mindset mentally, how you can be a better human being in general, some specific takeaways in that realm. And then obviously we touched on things like intermittent fasting, which he is a genius when it comes to. We talked about digestion and how his lifestyle and his uh, training and nutrition philosophies have shifted as he has gotten older and has, as he has been in the training realm and in the industry for a lot longer period of time you know there's a big evolution when it comes to being in this space for years and he's a great example of that he's somebody who has seen it all who who has practiced a lot of these things and he can actually give us some applicable takeaways and some applicable lessons behind all the shit that he's done during his journey so I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode especially because I'm a big fan of Paul he's a good friend of mine now and he's just such a a real down-to-earth dude so I think you guys are going to truly enjoy this episode Before we get into this episode, I do have one quick announcement, guys, and it is not to take a screenshot of this episode, although now that I mentioned it, you should take a screenshot of this. Post it on your Instagram story. Tag me at Cody.BoomBoom and also tag Paul Carter himself at LiftRunBang so we can both see who is checking this episode out and we can communicate with you guys. And I always love having conversations with you guys on Instagram. It helps me get to know my listeners a little bit better. But that is not the announcement. The announcement is something 
unbelievable I have to share with you guys. Um, as I've mentioned in some of my content on my email newsletter, for those of you who are checking out my emails every week as well, um, October is the month of giving. Not November, not Thanksgiving. I decided to not wait because I'm just too anxious to give away shit. Um, last week, we launched the recipe guide, which is obviously still available, but that was the big giveaway. That was on sale. Um, man, we had a lot of downloads of that, and people are loving the recipe book, but this week I have something even better to give you that actually includes the recipe guide because if you are a part of the Boom Boom Elite, you actually get access to all of my ebooks for completely free, which is something I haven't really mentioned um, on this podcast or in general. Um, and I don't think people realize like part of being in the elite is you not only get intelligently designed programs so your training is taken care of, but you also get all my ebooks for free to help you with your recipes, your supplements, your nutrition, all that stuff as well, on top of the private Facebook group and all the exclusive interviews inside and the videos, so on and so forth. But what I have for you guys today is actually really exciting. This week, and we only have a limited amount of spots in this, so depending on when you listen to this, it might be up, but click the link in the description. It'll be the first link available to click. It'll take you right to the place where you can sign up, and if it's available, you'll see it. You can get into the Boom Boom Elite for $1. Obviously, it's only your first month. It's not going to be a dollar forever because there's just way too much fucking value inside of that group, but we decided to do a promotion this week. You can get into the Boom Boom Elite for $1 on your first month. You can test out the group. You can see what is inside, and you can actually start to get results for only a dollar. And guess what? There's no commitment inside the Boom Boom Elite. There's no contracts. There's none of that stuff you have to sign. All we ask is that you are enthusiastic and that you actually put in the work that is required because I can give you guys all the answers, but if you don't do the work, you're not going to benefit from it. So guys, this week and this week only, it's a limited amount of spots. If you want to join the elite, if you want to test out the elite, if you want to see what the Boom Boom Elite membership site is all about, you can join right now for only a dollar on your first month. Click the first link in the description. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to this amazing episode with my good friend, Paul Carter. Let's just get right into it, man. I want to uh, first and foremost dig into your story. You know, I know you from T Nation, from your company, from seeing you live and, and talking to you um, through Facebook and stuff like that. But I would love to know how it all began, like going way back. What got you into lifting in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a whole um, blog post about that a long time ago. But essentially, at the time, I was about 14, uh, my parents had split, my best friend from the time I was five years old had gotten killed uh, when I was 13, and my, kind of my, my teenage years was very tumultuous and unstable at that time, and my, my mom left my dad, and I was living in this uh, two-bedroom apartment with her and both of my sisters, and I had literally, like, this story is, like, so crazy, but that's essentially been my life anyway, so... Mom had picked up this literally like this, uh, even, even to this day when I tell it, it's nuts, but she picked up this martial arts magazine, this ninja magazine. I don't know if people even remember that, but there's, there's an article in there from this guy named Rob Baskew, and he was all the way out in Oregon, and he had his phone number listed for like contact information on there, so I literally called him. Like, I was like, I'm like 14 years old, and I'm like, I want to come out there and train and you know, spend my summer there. And I played music. I started playing music from the time I was eight years old, and I had this really massive drum set that my parents had, had bought me, you know, added to over the years. So I took my drum set and I pawned it. Took me and my mom took got all the parts of my drum set up, went to the pawn shop and pawned it. I don't remember how much I got, but I got a Greyhound bus ticket, and it was four days because I was living in North Mississippi at the time. And it was a four day bus ride, so I was on a Greyhound bus for four days. 
I went out to Oregon and uh, spent the summer out there. And my, my instructor um, was the one that got me involved in lifting, and I hated it, absolutely hated it. Uh, the first day we trained, he was doing a, a very, very Arnoldish type split. And it was like the first day was like, we do chest in the morning for an hour, and then we'd go to lunch, and then come back and do back for an hour. Like, that was the training. Like, it, and now you have to understand something. I'm 14 years old. I was, I had hair down to my waist, and I was chain smoking. That's, that's literally where I was at in my life. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the manliest 14 year old. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was, I, if, if I would have been a, there's some 14 year old alive, some 14 year old that's alive right now living like that, he's a meme somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, day two, I wake up and I'm so sore, I'm paralyzed. Cannot, I mean, cannot move. And like it took him and his mom to like literally help me out of the bed. And he had this big giant uh, Toyota pickup truck that was all jacked up. And I would have to reach up and pull. So imagine as sore as you could be, and you're having to reach up and pull and stuff, you know, pull, pull yourself up all day long into this truck. And then we were doing martial arts training anywhere from six to eight hours a day. So I was getting beat up on while I was sore, as sore as I've ever been. So day two, it was that sore. We'd go in, we'd train legs in the morning, go to lunch, come back and train like shoulders and arms after lunch. I don't know why, why or how he ever came up with this really ridiculous training, but it was so stupid. <laughs> So like a month into this, I can literally tell you the moment I knew I would pretty much lift weights for the rest of my life. I'm in the kitchen and I'm kind of like horse playing around with his mom. And I, I literally flexed my bicep and saw it like for the first time. And you remember being like, you know, like a kid, like that's how you know if you have muscles, right? You flex your bicep. Mm -hmm. And I'd never, I was always athletic and good in sports and stuff like that, but I wasn't like overly muscular. And I remember I flexed and I like my bicep just pow popped. And um, so I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you know, I dig this. I'm probably going to do this, you know, forever. And that, and it was literally like in that moment. And from then on, like, I really enjoyed training. I went back home after the summer and uh, just, I, when I, I think when I got to Oregon, I was 97 pounds. And by the time I got home, I think it was like a hundred and, five or 107 but to my like to my family like I was huge now yeah. compared to when I left right so but I mean 10 pounds or 12 pounds of lean muscle tissue over the summer will make a dramatic difference in what you look like oh yeah so and they, they made me cut my hair off so I returned home like a different dude nice I love it so at, at what point that obviously escalated into coaching because I'm assuming you became a trainer or a coach or in some capacity no. okay so oh, what, no. what was the next step after that um, nothing really like, I mean, I just kept training. I went into the military, got married when I was 21 or whatever. And I, I went into uh, computer operations for intelligence and got out and I was a computer engineer. So like for people, I didn't, I never pursued, I never did personal training. I never did coaching. Um, I never pursued like any avenue directly related to the fitness industry. I mean, it's very uh, counterintuitive to what we see now with social media and those kind of things where people are like, how do I break into this arena? That was never, I wanted to, to make a good living for my family. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to be a father. I wanted to be a husband. I mean, that was the whole nuclear family thing. That was where I was at, you know, in my life. So the transition that happened from there was I actually discovered that I loved writing and I actually wrote a novel and it was like a fantasy novel, like a fantasy action novel that I wrote um, probably about 10 years ago. And I figured out I really loved writing. And so I wasn't writing about fitness stuff then either. I actually really liked writing stories. 
And so I, one day I opened and started this blog. And at the time, Jim Wendler was developing 531. And he and I, we have a funny story. We exchanged a few emails. And then one day we decided we made an agreement that we wouldn't, we wouldn't write any new emails, that we would only reply to the same email. So we have one, Jim and I have one email over about a two year span that contains all of our conversations. And it's thousands and thousands of, you know, talks that we had back and forth while he was developing 531. And uh, I was writing on the blog at the time and I was like, nobody knew who I was. I was, I was competing in powerlifting, but nobody knew who I was. And uh, so I would send Jim over stuff that I'd written for the day because it was just like ideas and principles and things like that. And Jim loved it. And was like, dude, this is like the best stuff that I'm reading right now. Would you like, why don't you let us publish some of your stuff? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like I didn't want to be put. So it was the opposite of what you see when people <laughs> break into the industry. I was trying to avoid it. So I was like, no, I don't, I don't want my stuff put out there. And that's the thing. There's, there's a greater fear than you believe because once you put your stuff out there, you, I mean, you open yourself wide up for a significant amount of criticism and not just praise. Cause a lot of people think, Oh, you're just going to get out there. You know, everybody's going to be worshiping your genitals and stuff like that. But that generally just doesn't happen. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, the internet can be a brutal place. Yeah. So um, eventually I did relent and he, he, they published the first article and it, it got like rave reviews and he came back. He's like, Hey, can you write like maybe six more? And I was like, okay. And it was, I was nerve wracking every time. Like it was nerve wracking every time because you're putting yourself out there every time. And it's like that clenched feeling in your gut. At least that's what I went through of like, what, what kind of criticism will come from this? And, you know, I mean, I've taken, I took a beating over the years at various times early um, and that's a lot of that's my own fault because, uh, you know, just kind of where I was at in my life at that time, you know, like writing is kind of a manifestation of your mental and emotional state. At least it is for me. So during those times, like I was in a very angry, bitter, um, just not in a good place in my life. And I've been very open about that since. And, but it, it was reflected in my writing. It was very, um, it was very dogmatic and polarizing. And so that tends to, when you're giving that out, that whatever that you're putting out in life is going to be what you attract back to. So when you're putting out this consistent negative energy, expect that negative energy back. And I would get, you know, you're going to get some fans too. I mean, at the time, I remember me and Jamie Lewis were doing podcasts. And that's so weird to think back now that I was associated with Jamie because, you know, he's just an absolute train wreck. God bless him. But, you know, his, his life's been an absolute train wreck. And, um, we went in very different directions, but that's the kind of you, you're going to attract people who have a, a strong identification with where you're at and your energy and your philosophies and your ideology, you know, about everything that you're, that you're putting out there for people to read. So I took a beating and I didn't really care. And, you know, getting the internet fights, stuff like that. And you read a lot of crap uh, that people write or think about what they know about you online. And that's part of it too. You know, if you're going to be, like I said, very polarizing and be controversial, then you're, you're going to get a lot of stuff said about you, too. So um, then, so I was, yeah, so I was competing at that time, and, but I was still writing and putting out a lot of content. Um, and, you know, not to sound arrogant, but like my, my coaching ability when I would do similar stuff like that, I mean, I was always very good at those things. So I was self-taught in everything I did. I quit school at ninth, after ninth grade. 
Um, and I spent my whole life, I'm a research hound, so I read everything that I can get my hands on and then try my best for real life application for any of those principles. So I was just very self-taught and had a, a very big uh, desire to learn as much as possible. And that was the thing, you know, with my mentor passing that Charles always told me that stuck with me. He was like, don't worry about money. Worry about developing your craft to the best of your own ability. And if you do that, like your success or money or whatever it is you're after, that will manifest in your life. So um, I wanted to be a great writer. I never wanted to be like a, like coaching wasn't my thing. Personal training wasn't my thing. Um, I wanted to be a great writer. And um, that was, that's really the vehicle. And with the, again, with social media, I'll kind of parlay into um, the synergistic approach where I was, you know, because I'm, I love writing and there's got to be a, a way to deliver your information. So there it was. And I always want to be a great writer. Where so when people, and they ask me, like, how do you do it? The first question I always ask them, you know, what's going to be the vehicle for how you deliver your information? Because if you're not, if you don't love writing, you're not going to put out a lot of content or you won't put out a lot of great content. Yeah. No, I love that too, because that's actually what got me into um, all of this in the first place too is because I just loved writing and, and you know I looked up to a lot of people on uh, T Nation, Christian Thibodeau, Dr. John Russin, uh, back then a lot of Jason Frugia stuff, Nate Green, John Brardy, Precision Nutrition. So um, I looked up to all these guys and that's actually what got me started because I loved writing. I saw what they were doing and they were making an impact in the industry and I kind of um, I took and in, in, I kind of gravitated towards that just because I was following their lead and there were people I looked up to. But uh, man, you wrote a novel like. I didn't know that about you. That's a pretty big ass deal in and of itself. Um, so what got you into that in the first place, man? What caused you to start writing? Um, dude, I had all these stories in my head from like the time I was a kid, like these, you know, and I've, I've read since then. That's pretty much how a lot of guys that wrote fantasy type novels have all developed. But I have these really fantastical stories in my head about this particular character from the time I was a kid. Um, and like, they were just there, literally just like existing in my head. And I remember telling my wife at the time, like the whole, the whole story. And she's like, that's really amazing. She's like, why don't you write it? And I'm like, well, I've never, I've never written a thing in my life. And so I actually tried to get her to help me because I knew nothing about writing. And with writing, you just write. Like there's nothing complicated about it really. People, um, I guess they try to make, make it more complicated than it has to be, but I just started I tried to get her to help me and it was such a frustrating process. And that's how insecure and afraid I was about doing something nobody else would even see. And so finally one day I just told her, I was like, look, I'm just going to do this. And like, you don't have to help me with it. She was so delayed. <laughs> so uh, I started writing on the novel and then I was lucky enough that our neighbor was, um, uh, was actually uh, had majored in like, I think English literature or something. Um, I can't remember what it was, but it was related to writing. And I was stuck on chapter one and I was rewriting it over and over. And I was so frustrated because I couldn't, I didn't have the experience, right? Like, and I wanted it to sound perfect. And I knew like even writing it didn't sound perfect. And she told me the best advice that I ever got. And she said, don't try to make it perfect. Just get it out there. Just get it out there. And she's like, you can always come back to it later. And that's what I did. And I remember that I went right on to chapter two and it just started flowing, man. It just started coming out. And it's crazy because I had a professional editor look at it since and she's like, this is one of the most amazing stories I've ever read. And it's, she said, it is kind of cool to watch because it's, um, it's more than 200,000 words. 
and it's she she's like you can watch the development like of your writing improve like throughout the whole book and that was the cool thing for me too was because writing is like anything else it's the more it's like anything you do the more you do it the better you're going to get at it and it took me over a year and a half to write it and some days i would sit and write for like nine hours at a time so if anybody wants to understand how to cut your teeth and become a better writer you've just got to write a lot yeah 100 percent. and i totally agree i used to do uh like 500 words a morning on whatever was in my mind, at least 500 words and just do it. I read about this guy and I apply this to people who ask me this stuff. It, if you do 200, this guy had written more than 70 novels and somebody asked him how he, he did that. And he said 200 crappy words a day, like 200 crappy words a day. And they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be immaculate. They don't have to be superlative. 200 crappy words a day. But if you, in, in the, here's the other thing, the act of just getting started on writing something often tends to spur you on to writing more during that particular piece. Mm-hmm. But so many people are stuck in their own head when they go to start writing that they just don't get anything out. And it's like, if you just put something out there, like that's the, the process of doing it will develop. Do you still like read fictional books? I know for me, I actually got into that a while back. I haven't been good about it lately, but, um, just reading these fictional books and reading these stories actually helped me uh, feel like I could be a little bit more creative with my writing because of the brains of these fictional writers were uh, just so out there and just so crazy. It allowed me to get a little bit more creative. Do you still read uh, fictional books? Like a ton of like personal development, um, like books or things on psychology. I mean, that's kind of my forte um, now, like just kind of where I'm at. But I don't, I don't read like any fantasy books. I mean, I could, um, that's just not like for me, like with where I'm at in life and, and how I connect with people and those kind of things and a huge passion of mine is helping people develop their own life, um, not just their health and wellness or looking sexier. Um, but, you know, like I think that's just something that's lacking. Um, I kind of have a, a special little niche, I think in the fitness industry where it's like I, I write a lot about relationships or life development, those kind of things. Um, and not just the whole coaching aspect. So a huge passion of mine is that is helping to, um, you know, to, I don't know, help people cultivate and develop meaningful relationships in their life um, and, and kind of, you know, tend to their own emotional wounds or um, scar tissue that they tend to be carrying around with them. And so that's, and even myself, like by all means, I'm not perfect. I think I've screwed up everything I've tried to do in life at least a hundred times. Let's actually let's actually dig into that a little bit because you mentioned previously, you know, kind of being negative or just having anger or being an angry person or something. Um, let's kind of dig into that. How how did you, I guess, realize this or how did you start shifting to become more positive? Because I do think the first step in anybody becoming a more positive person, believing in themselves, eliminating self-doubt, so on and so forth, it really all starts by realizing that you're not being that right now, that you might be letting negativity get into your life too much or absorb you or get your focus. So how did you make that shift from negativity to positivity or how did you just start implementing different things to become a more positive person in general? Well, I mean, here's one of the things that I wrote years ago before it all even happened. And I said, people don't often make changes in their life until something cataclysmic happens. And I'll always stick by that because that's exactly what happened to me. But, um, you know, and I've been really open about my life. Um, I was married for 20 years and 17 of it was great. The last years, there was a lot of things that transpired in our marriage. I ended up having an affair and, and then my wife left me and uh, took my kids. So that was pretty cataclysmic. 
And like I said, I've always been very open about that because I don't try to put it on this, um, uh, this lip service or give out what I give to people because there's so many people that go through all these exact same problems and they don't, they feel, they feel shame, but they, they, they carry around all these negative virtues, right. That tend to keep manifesting in their life because they, they don't know how to heal those parts um, of who they are. Right. All of us have things that we would never want on the front page of the newspaper about who we are. And that's why I tend to not sit back and judge people about the mistakes that they're making. I can discern what's good and bad that they're making, but I'm like, oh, this is a terrible person. That's a terrible person because I've done a lot of awful things in my life too. And the point that I always try to emphasize to people um, that was a turning point in my life was when I stood up and took ownership about where I was. And I think that's a, a huge part of when I talk to people about when whatever is fail, failing in their life, whether it's business or relationships or any of those kind of things, there's usually a failure to accept ownership for the position that they're in. It's the whole fault responsibility thing. Like things can happen in your life, it's not your fault, but you may still be responsible to fix it. And more times than not, the things that we cultivate in our life are things that are created and come to fruition because of the decisions that we make. So instead of sitting back every day being angry uh, and bitter and jaded and cynical about where I was, a, a huge turning point, and I can always remember like the day and how I felt at the time was like, I am in this quagmire because of so many decisions I made. And from there, it, I slowly started getting, when I say better, I started taking ownership of my life and how I behaved and how I interacted with people and how I treated people that I claim to love and those kind of things. And now my former wife is my absolute best friend. And we have an absolutely amazing relationship and talk all day long. And she is such an incredible, um, resilient and wise and strong woman. And I feel blessed to know her and still have her in my life in such a capacity. Man, I can't even imagine how much you learn from that um, specifically to just just apply in your life. But um, speaking of that, where do you see people lack taking ownership or where do you feel like the biggest mistakes occur when it comes to taking ownership or building these relationships and like what what if what did you take from i guess that situation and actually apply it to your future relationships to improve them and make them better well one of the things that i've learned a lot about over the last few years that is really important is pretty much every everything that we know about love intimacy connecting with people and all that kind of stuff happens at a really young age and it's something called attachment type or attachment theory. And if people would spend enough time delving into understanding why they feel a certain way and why they have, why they have the same blowups um, in relationships or how they interact with people, they don't understand that most, uh, pretty much all of it, 90 plus percent of it is tied back into something from those formative years early on and how we had relationships with our parents. So that, and so a lot of people, when, when people make, like jokes about like having mommy or daddy issues or those kind of things. The truth is that, that, that that's really what it is. Um, anytime that I talk to somebody and they're telling me their story and everybody has a story, right? Like that was one of the things I learned that John Eldridge, my favorite Christian author goes on about. It's like everybody has a story and getting to know somebody to their depths is really about getting to know their story. And when I, when somebody's talking to me about what's going on in their life, you know, I let them, I try to hear them as well as possible, but inevitably I want to hear about what, what their life was like growing up. And that will almost always give you a clue in to the problems that they're dealing with on the daily now as adults. And that it's pretty much, like I said, 90% of the time it's from relationship that sure your relationships that happen later on, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships that happen later on in life, 
they can have an impact, but it's, it's smaller than people realize. Like they'll be like, well, I was with some guy that cheated on me over and over and over again. But here's my thing. Like, why did you select that person? And without a doubt, there's almost always some disconnect. Um, say if it's a female in that particular situation about how she wasn't nurtured um, or learned. She didn't watch her father love her mother in a way that, that, that she that understood what unconditional or a good love looked like. Um, or her father wasn't in her life or whatever. And people don't understand that their own brokenness that, that is created within those formative years, that will be what you're attracted to later on in life as well. And a lot of times they can't put those things together. Um, I talked with a guy, um, I think it was like maybe six months ago, eight months ago. And he was telling me about his, his first marriage and he got married. Um, he wasn't, he got married reluctantly. He ended up stepping out on her a lot and he went through the describing process. And so I let him do that. And then I kind of had a, like a, an intermission where we talked about other things. And then I, I kind of slowly got back into ground to like what his father was like. And he had basically recreated everything he watched his father do to his mother. And he didn't even realize it. Like his father did the same thing. Reluctantly married to his mother. They had a passionless marriage. He always had girlfriends and was stepping out. I mean, it was like a mirror and he had never even put that together. So when a man, especially men, because my philosophy on life is that it's our responsibility as men to lead um, from a very strong emotional place and you have to be emotionally centered in your relationships. Um, but when you don't spend time unpacking that stuff, coming to terms with it, understanding where it's caused you to be emotionally restrictive in your life, you're going to tend to repeat some type either of self-abuse in your own relationships or potentially abuse to your partner. Them. So it's vitally important for men to spend some time unpacking those problems and tending to their own wounds. So that way they can, they can lead better in those relationships from an emotional place. So true. And man, it's, it's funny listening. Cause I'm thinking of personal situations in my life and just thinking about my father growing up and things that I mirrored over the years. But, um, and I've also had conversations with mentors about this exact same thing. And it was such a realization for me and it helped me grow so much as a person. Um, so what do you, th- do you feel like realizing this, having that realization and just reflecting and just, just the revelation in general is really all you need so you can move past it? Or do you feel like there's further work to be done after the realization so you can move past living this mirrored lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that that when I was learning about um, attachment types and attachment theory is that it gets, it gets wired very deeply, literally into your brain and your thinking pattern. Um, And you really have to spend some time uh, becoming self-aware and you know, that there's so few people that work out of ego, work out of how they think the world views them um, or, um, you know, they've allowed the world or their parents or these other people, how those perceptions about them, they've allowed them to write the story that they live with. It becomes so pervasive to them, this, this exterior opinion about who they are, that they go on through life living that without ever questioning if that's true, if that makes sense. Yeah. So in other words, they allow the things that their parents tell them about who they are, their friends tell them about who they are, their ex-lovers or relationships about who they are. And they end up hearing this so often and starting from a young age, it becomes pervasive, you know, so much so out throughout their years that that's the identity they develop without ever understanding that you have all the power to write your own story. So a big part of that is literally getting up and I'd watch this video like, sometime back and there was this guy that grew up this really abusive like emotionally abusive father 
And this guy worked like from sunup to sundown from the time he was a young age. He would tend to hundreds of horses a day or whatever. And no matter what he did, his father would never tell him he was proud of him. He, it, was, it was a really sad story to watch. He ended up working for this CEO who was so impressed with his work ethic, but he understood this guy had a degree of um, self-loathing and lack of like a, a sense of self-worth that should be in place that wasn't. And the CEO told him that he wanted him to get up every day. And I think it was, to, he was supposed to say out loud how handsome he was and like literally get up every day. And a lot of people would laugh at this or they would say that that's very sophomoric, but he was supposed to get up every day and say how handsome he was. And he did. And he said at first it felt terrible and he didn't believe it and it didn't resonate with him at all. And, but he made this, he kept at it. You have to do this every day. You have to do it multiple times a day. And after a while, it started really, he said he could start really feeling that. And literally getting up every day and saying, like speaking that power into his own life, that power of change started to manifest. And his life, just his life, just everything in his life started exploding, you know, from a, from a, 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 a you know, a good level. So all of the things where how he felt about himself, how he felt about himself, he projected that into all these other places of his life. And then once he started having that shift about how he felt about him in a positive way, right, that was the projection change. So other things in his life, you know, he steered away from negative connotations like that affirmed to him about the shortcomings that he believed. And that's what we'll do. It's like whatever we believe about ourselves we will seek out things that affirm that, this sort of self-imposed cognitive bias. So we will seek that out and say, this is what I have to believe about myself. Now I need to find somebody that's gonna tell me that, right? Because we don't wanna, we, we need to believe that that's right. Like if we say like, oh, I'm not worth loving, I'm not worth being committed to, or whatever it is that these negative traits that we believe about who we are, we're gonna seek people out that are going to affirm that to us. And you have to have that mental shift right that emotional shift where now you're going to see you will you will if you come across that you're like yeah i don't want anything to do with that so he had that shift and then he had this massive shift in his life so he had cultivated this ability to like work his ass off like literally putting this tremendous amount of work at there but how he felt about himself was really low and once he started cultivating that just like his worth that work ethic the other part of his life started exploding. He ended up meeting this amazing woman and got married, had an amazing marriage. It was a really good story. But it also just started with him getting up every day and saying to himself how handsome he was. And somebody might think that's really low level, but it, what's funny was I came across a scientific article later that, said, that actually talked about how factual that is. What we literally say to ourselves, it's, it's a program in our brain, and it, it wires our brain. And if you're consistently negative and you're saying negative thoughts, negative things, you're having negative thoughts or whatever, there's a repeating pattern of that. And it rewires your brain to see out that negativity. It's then that's what toxicity is. And that's why you'll find toxic people and you'll have toxic traits and all those kind of things. All that is completely irreversible. I think that's the biggest issue with this is actually that people just think it's cheesy, you know, and they don't want to do it because it's like this cheesy little thing. And, and I mean, I'm huge on self-affirmations. I do this every single morning because it's so powerful. It's magical, dude. Like I, it, it, like I said, yeah, you're right. People believe that that's cheesy, man. It's, it's literally proven. It's called neuroplasticity. And like your brain is very pliable with all of these things. So what you're feeding your brain, you know, that's what it's going to be a sponge to. So when I tell people, it's like, well, like, can't meet the right person or have shitty relationships or they fail or they have these repeating patterns. I'm like, what are you telling yourself every day? Literally, like, what are you telling yourself every day? Yeah. 
So like, I know I'm handsome as shit. Like I tell myself <laughs> every day, nobody has to tell me. <laughs> so true, man. Um, but I, I do want to take a shift. I want to take a shift because, you know, I can't let you come on the podcast without talking about fitness at all. And this, we've been going on some different topics that I wasn't expecting, but I'm super happy we did. So let's, but let's shift gears. Let's talk a little bit of fat, uh, about fitness, especially because we're talking about shifting identities in a sense. And the reason that kind of makes me think about this is because, man, you had an identity in bodybuilding and in powerlifting, being a jacked dude who was also extremely strong and you still are, but now you take a much more health conscious approach. You know, you're diving into intermittent fasting, gut health, longevity in this. Um, so what made you not necessarily have a shift or a change of identity within the space, but just kind of shift your priorities, shift your focus, shift everything you're doing and, and kind of go this more health conscious route? Well, there's a, there's a myriad of factors. I knew that once I hit 40, when I was powerlifting, I, knew, I kind of made a promise to myself that like, once you hit 40, you're going to get your fat ass into shape. That was kind of the thing because I was walking around between 275 and 290 and I had this, I had this moment where I knew, yeah, I'm really going to get in shape when I hit 40 because I had this moment I was in, uh, I was at this meet and I was having to walk across a parking lot and I couldn't make it across the whole parking lot. I had to stop and lean against the car and I was like, man, that is pathetic. I mean, I used to be an athlete, like a real athlete. I used to be in amazing shape and I'm like, all this to be able to do three reps, you know, over the course of six hours in a meet. Like, and like, I still love my power or whatever but like looking back on it in retrospect now like what like you do hit like three big lifts like in a day like i would never do it again like i really wouldn't if i had it and i learned so much and made so many amazing friendships but i would have chose a different way to approach powerlifting than i did then where it's like just you know like the whole get your weight up thing god that drove me that's such a ridiculous model get your weight up so you can lift more or whatever because um, there's plenty of guys now, especially the guys in powerlifting now, I don't follow as much as I used to, but the guys that I see now that are absolute beasts, they're all lean and look like monsters. And when I was coming up, all the guys that everybody talked about, we all look like gigantic roly-polies. So um, that was, I would approach it completely different. Uh, and, I, and I guess I'd say I don't have regrets about it because I did learn so much. And I do some of the people that I have in my life still to this day, that got me through some hard times and that still love and that love me, like I've made through powerlifting. So the transition from there was when I turned 40, I decided I want to get in shape. And as I started really getting into shape, um, I, you know, I posted, you know, like a selfie or something to John Meadows, you know, who's one of, one of my best friends. And John Meadows saw it and it's like, he did this thing. I wrote about it. He's, he's like, you're, he, John has this very grandmama way of talking you into stuff that feels so loving that you don't realize what you're getting yourself into. That's nice. So, uh, so John's like, you're looking pretty good, man. You should just, you know, you should do a show. You're not that far off. And I was like, sure, I'll do a show. And then I remember, um, I remember, I think I was two weeks out and I was so exhausted and I could, I'm just getting through each day. Anybody that's done a show knows how brutal um, it is the last few weeks. And I remember I was driving somewhere and I forgot where I was going. Like just in the middle of the drive, and I pulled off into a parking lot trying to remember where I was going. And I remember my next thought after that was, "Man, fuck John Meadows." <laughs> like that was pretty much uh, that was pretty much my thought at the moment. So John talked to me, kind of talked to me in that show, and I did the show, and I was like, and I love the whole process. I really do. I love the whole process, but it's so I really admire. Like I don't care what anybody says. Bodybuilding is a thousand times harder than powerlifting. It's not even close. Like the amount of discipline, the time, the energy, the effort is just so all life encompassing. Like when you're doing a show, it it is every minute of every day of what you're doing. 
Um, and it's like the, the process of getting incredibly lean is very, very, very hard. So um, I knew like I didn't want I didn't want to do another show. I didn't think I wanted to do another show and I could get a wild hair at my butt at another time and do another one. Just like I haven't since that one. But I, and I, even though I love the process, like I said, there's so many other things I'm focusing on in my life, in my life right now. I wouldn't want to do another one. But after I, I got into shape, um, I really did start. I delved in deeply into like what are all the facets of improving overall health and longevity and feeling better and just all those things. And again, one of the things I remember Charles telling me, um, and this was when I was I probably at my peak in strength and we were talking about all these things. And Charles was like, listen, he's like the average guy that walks into a gym, he can't identify with, with you bench pressing 485. Like all he wants to do is look sexy at the beach for women and be able to bench three bench three plates for a couple of reps. I mean, and that that's the truth, right? Like that's the majority of guys that walk into a gym. And I know that from the thousands and thousands and thousands of questions I've answered and thousands of articles I've written, it's like the majority of guys, they, they don't care about like this whole overly scientific process or how the mitochondria is responding to particular stimulus. So, I mean, like, they're just like, man, I don't care about that stuff. Tell me how to bench, you know, 30 more pounds and how to get some rock hard abs. That's the truth. And that is the great majority of um, guys that step into a gym. So a, a huge part of that shift was just um, what I was doing with my own life, how I wanted to feel. You know, and I had this one, Ben Pakulski had me on his, uh, his show last year. It was funny because he, he and I had both arrived at the same place essentially when, once he retired. He's like, man, he goes, I just want to be sexy and bang my wife really good all the time. Like that, he's like, that's where I'm at in life anymore. And I was like, yeah, that's, I don't have a wife to bang all the time anymore, but if I did, that's exactly where I'd want to be. That's like anything that would be interfering with me potentially banging my wife all day long, I would be like, that's got to go. So, you know, that's, and a big part, right? In your libido, I think Tips and I actually had this conversation. And I'm like, paying attention to, to your libido is such a huge thing because if your libido is in the crapper, physiologically, like it's such a great feedback mechanism. Your libido is in the crapper, something's not right. Like we're wired to do two things, you know, from a biological standpoint, survive and procreate. So if, you know, if you're living, but this number two, the procreation, it's just not, it, there's no desire for that. Something's not right. Yeah. So that's a big feedback mechanism on where you're at from a physiological standpoint. Like literally where's your libido at each and every day. So it, it, that led me into the research about inflammation and, you know, and then the research into like the ketones and how they work there and everything related to that just connected to low grade inflammation and how that basically is killing us, you know, and it's well documented. Um, but managing pretty much every other facet of your health and wellness um, and how you feel every day. And because that's most people want to wake up and feel pretty good. You know, like feel good, you know, feel good in your own skin, perform well, you know, have amazing sex. You know, if you got those things going on in your life, everything else probably going to feel okay. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, and I think like regarding inflammation, I think so many people get confused about what inflammation truly is. A lot of people think water retention, being bloated, stuff like that. Um, so could you go a little bit more in depth with what inflammation truly is and how it affects us? Well, they tend to confuse acute inflammation, acute inf inflammation with low, low grade. It's not the same thing. Acute inflammation is actually a good thing. So it's right. a part of the healing process for either localized trauma 
you know, or whatever, like whether you're sore or whether you have an injury, like inflammation is a huge part of the, the healing process. But low grade chronic inflammation is essentially when your immune system, it gets turned on and it doesn't really shut down. And if you have a, a type of physiological weakness in your body, it keeps essentially sending white blood cells to whatever it is. So you got heart problems, it'll, it'll start attacking it essentially and then you're going to end up with this low-grade inflammation that's going to exacerbate those issues so whatever the problems that you have and another one is if you have we live in such a pro-inflammatory pro inflammatory world now everything from our food um that's where like when i the if it fits your macro shit still grinds my gears because i'm like okay it's not all about calories in calories out i don't give a damn how many of these scientific gurus tell you that it's about calories in, calories out. If you are not taking your food composition into um, consideration, you are missing the boat. You are absolutely missing the boat from, you know, from all these things. And they always talk about that. Well, you can still, you know, eat like you're eating the, the one guy, I don't want to get too far off a rabbit hole, but I always come back to this. And the one guy who was going to prove that it was just all about calories in, calories out. Um, and he did protein shakes and ice cream, but accounted for his macros. I don't know if you remember this one. And he lost like 30 pounds in his blood his blood profile improved but he fell so awful he couldn't he didn't even get to the gym and he ended up losing a tremendous amount of muscle mass anymore that did the weight scale change yeah but his life quality went into the absolute shitter so if you're not including a high quality of food that you're taking along with your calories it's a synergistic approach there it's like your calories in and calories out matter but so does your food source and if if your whole thing is well calories in and calories out matter and that's like a bigger like like part of the pyramid, then all you're really talking about is what the weight scale says. But you're excluding how do I feel each and every day, which is determined by the quality of your food and what you're eating. So if you're if all you care about is the weight scale, but you don't give a shit how you feel, sure, it's all about calories in, calories out. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And I think the issue with a lot of those studies is they leave those things out, right? People don't take notice, and and they leave out the things about losing muscle mass or feeling like shit or whatever it may be. Uh, well, he wrote that up specifically. And I, and what was funny to me at the time was the whole Seco crowd, the calories and calories that crowd were hailing this as a bit more proof that it's all about calories in calories out. I'm like, did you guys read the whole article? The guy said it was the worst he'd ever felt in his life. <laughs> like this, uh, this is, it's not gospel praise, man. I mean, I would, I would be like, okay, look, this is why your food source matters. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did the intermittent fasting actually come into play for you? Because um, I know you're big on that. And I think that um, a lot of people mistake that for something that's going to be a magical thing or, or help with body composition. But in reality, it's more of a health thing. It's more beneficial for health in general versus like a quick fix for body comp. That's one of the things that drives me nuts about how popular IF has become again, because a lot of people are like, great for fat loss, weight loss, whatever. I'm like, no, like I could, I could absolutely, I could gain weight still doing IF, like totally. Like you can now, as far as the CCO crowd goes, that goes. Yeah, your calories in the twenty-four hour period could determine that. So I can, I can eat my more. I can eat over my maintenance level calories for the day in a single meal, and I could do that every day of my life. So like the whole, just because I'm eating in an eight-hour period, it's nothing. It came about with me through like this kind of weird natural. I got to where I just hated eating breakfast anymore. Like I just, I wanted to get up and I do my writing and 
gosh, it's so not eating is so freeing. You don't realize how much time eating a meal like just takes up in your day. I know people don't need to think about that, but when you go a day and you're not eating, you realize there's a lot of a lot of time that goes into eating. You spend that time. The other thing was I started feeling the longer I would go fasting. As soon as I eat that first meal, I would feel that downturn in mental acuity. And I was like, no matter what my food source was, it's like low glycemic carbs, lean protein source, no matter what I was doing. And still to this day, as soon as food comes in, there's a downturn in normal acuity. So it's when you're fasting and your, your sympathetic nervous system is a little bit more turned on, you have that real, that awareness, that energy, that whatever. And so like, I really started to enjoy just not eating breakfast. And I, I found myself eating closer to like 11 or 12 o'clock. And then pushing it on out to two o'clock, one o'clock or two o'clock or whatever just became really easy. And it was it was a simple way to also to manage body composition for me because yeah, you're you have a smaller eating window, and as long as I was just making good choices over those eight hours, maintaining decent body composition was very easy. Yeah, and I love the way you and Thibs approached it when we were down there because you know, here we are in the the lab, this like legendary powerlifting gym. And we got two jack dudes on stage telling us that um, we can eat less, right? We're all there because we want to get big, get strong, build muscle. And you're saying that we can actually eat less and we don't have to worry about it, which is contrary to what everybody else says. So can you elaborate on that a little bit and kind of explain why you can actually be in a smaller caloric balance or intermittent fast or do these things and not worry about losing muscle mass like most people surprisingly still believe? Well, what's funny was I, I used a lot of IF going into my show. So I was eating oh. in a hypocaloric state. Yeah. And that's how, that was when that developed was actually going into my show because like, that's where I just didn't want to eat in the morning. I hated it. And I started kind of doing IF going into my show. Um, and now, yes, of course, I took drugs going into my show, but I was always, well, not always, but I had my ears where I, I, I had drug abuse a little bit. I'm always transparent about my stuff, but um. <laughs> Like for the most part, like when they had me on the Reddit on the AMA, I told them exactly what I took going to my show. They were shocked at how little it was. I'm like, I don't have anything to lie about. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't. The the thought that you're going to lose, I mean, to lose muscle mass, even to me, didn't seem very ideal. And since then, of course, I've read a million things. It's just preposterous. Uh, I can't even say that word, but um, you know the word I'm saying. Preposterous that you would think. That if you have any body fat available on you, that we survived all these centuries as a species, that we have a functional tissue that is, you know, pretty vital to our existence. And we have a, another tissue that is designed to be used for energy. And somehow the body is going to bypass the one that's so supposed to be used for energy and go right to the one um, that's, you, that is highly functional and start eating through it. That this just like... It's the it's such so dumb. It's hard for me to to put into words and how ridiculous it is. So your body's just going to eat through muscle tissue at the same rate that it eat through fat tissue or or whatever, and you're just going to lose all this muscle mass. Like it really doesn't work that way. And there's so many physiological mechanisms that the body actually has in place to spare muscle mass before it starts using muscle mass for actual energy. That it's you know you, you're going to be in a pretty dire state before that happens. So missing a few hours of eating during the day, and all of a sudden your body's going to start catabolizing itself is so ridiculous. It's hard to get my mind around that. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And I think I think once people started looking more into Paleolithic times in general, they started to kind of realize this because it's just it's just obvious if we look at survival in general and just just being humans and how we 
went through evolution, right? So um, regarding your guys who you work with right now and you personally, what is uh, what are some philosophies that you follow or wh- how do you set up diets for yourself personally or the guys you work with? Well, if it's going to be an IF approach, most of the time it's the, the 2 to 10, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, eating. That's the, that's the feeding window. Um, and if possible, what I like to have guys do is to, if they're, if they're okay with, there's no wrong or right here. Um, but if you can break, I tend to break my fast about 15 minutes before I start training with highly branched cyclic dextrin and some essential amino acids. And then the nutrient timing does become a little more important when you, when you're training in that semi-fasted state. So immediately when I'm done training, I do have a protein shake, like right then. Um, I don't bring it in my car, but you know, within 10 or 15 minutes of post-training. Um, and then I basically from a template standpoint, standpoint, if you're doing that eight hour window, uh, for feeding, like three meals, three solid meals, and then a protein shake. So you're looking at every, you know, same kind of thing. Every, every few hours you're still eating. Um, so that's generally how I tend to work it. And, you know, I try to make sure that satiation is kind of the number one priority when you're talking about dietary adherence, because if you're starving all the time, it makes adhering to any type of diet unsustainable. So um, when people start talking about what works or what doesn't, I'm like, well, what works is what you can sustain day in and day out. And generally, if you're not satiated, you're not gonna be able to stay on whatever eating protocol. It doesn't mean you're not gonna be hungry sometimes if you're trying to lose body fat. And that's generally good feedback that you're in a hypocaloric state because your body's letting you know, hey, look, I've got more energy going out than I've got coming in. So I'm going to make you hungry right now as long as that's manageable. But like when people can't get around, like I feel hungry. I'm like, I don't know how your ancestors survived. <laughs> so true. Have you, uh, have you ever seen the movie, the Revenant? Yeah, of course. One of my favorites. I just, every time I see that movie, I just feel like a big old wimp just because like the shit we complain about, like we have nothing to complain about compared to what they had to go through back then not a big deal like to get that one meal a day and man we got people now they're like man i don't know how you make it like you know every month i do the 60 hour fast and people like make like i'm like okay if you don't want to do it with me i don't need your jokes like i, I don't know if people like i don't even say anything to people but i don't know if they know how annoyed it like like well not me <laughs> i can't go three hours i'm like okay go tell somebody else your struggles glutton like i don't i don't care i'm like it's really not that big, big, big of a deal. You stop eating on Sunday night. You don't eat on Monday and Tuesday. You break your fast on Wednesday. Like if you can't go two days without eating, especially when you have like ketones that curb your hunger, like I don't even know what to do with that. That's just to me that tells me you're mentally weak. Yeah. Like really, it's two days without eating. I think for some people, I mean, it varies person to person, maybe like 12 hour, 15 hour. Some people it's like 16, 18 hour. But once you kind of hit that mark in your fasting window, um, it kind of just dies off. You're really actually not even that hungry anymore at all. Every time I do it, it's the same process. So it's like first day, I have a little bit of hunger. There's a mark in the second day where I'm really hungry. And then once that goes, it, I don't get hungry again. Yeah. Like it back at all. And then like usually by the third day, it's a weird thing. Like I don't want to eat at all. Like I have no desire to eat. And sometimes I push that out to more than 70 hours really easily at that point. And everybody who's done some extended form of fasting says the same thing. It's like after you get past a certain mark, like you really like you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's actually a very good mental drill kind of right. Like 
I think it's mentally empowering or just to get stronger. So you're just in general. So you're not completely reliant on food. You kind of have this realization that you don't need food as bad as you think you do. Dude, that will, that one of the things like for 60 hour fasting, it, it's going to give you some good feedback on your emotional and mental attachment to food. Yeah. It gives you so much feedback on that. It really does. And that it can tell you a little bit about where you are emotionally with your, whatever attachments to food that you may have. And that's, how is that not a good thing to know? Like, you know, I know that I'm an emotional eater sometimes for sure. I'm like a chick in that regard. Trust me, man. When I got my heart broken, I had plenty of days where I sat in bed eating pizza and cinnamon rolls and ice cream. I have no shame admitting it. You know, so many guys have told me, like, dudes are sometimes an embarrassment to me with how much they peacock about who they are. And then when they talk to me online, it's all a big facade about how macho. And, like, I think what sets me apart in that regard a little bit is I'm perfectly okay with being vulnerable. Um, you know, I have had a bit of a, a shift lately where I kind of feel like um, like I want more privacy in my life because I have been so open and honest and everything about my life the last few years. And now I'm kind of in a place where um, my own life, I really actually, I want a lot more privacy now. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, I get it. Like uh, these kind of topics I'm cool with, with talking about, but like, um, guys tend to peacock very hard on social media about who they are, but trust me, they get in private conversations with me and, you know, they feel comfortable and that's great. I always want people to feel like they can have those conversations with me and that I'm there for them and support them. But I think it would help other men a lot if, if men would be a little bit more, more vulnerable and open about the things they struggle with, those kind of stuff. Like I remember uh, when I, I started the, the anti-porn thing, started talking about that a lot last year. Terry Crews was the guy that came out and at the time, not even know it, somebody else had actually pointed it out to me and was talking about that kind of stuff. And those are the kind of things I think men need to be um, more vulnerable and open about with other men because there's so many guys struggling with so many of the same topics, so many of the same problems, and they feel very isolated and alone. And that is a big part of what's led to this massive depression that we're seeing um, going on across the male landscape right now at the time. And I had that article that went kind of viral months, months, months ago about the depression men are facing on the daily. Yeah, dude. I think what, I think what separates you and what separates successful people in general is just the ability to be vulnerable and transparent, like vulnerability and transparency are, is just such a massive, they play such a massive role in success in business and just happiness in life in general. So much strength in both of those things, right? It, that is like having a significant amount of vulnerability and transparency means you're continuously operating from a, a, a place of strength in your life. Um, because when you're covering up and working out of ego, you're projecting this false sense of self into the world it's like, because you're afraid of what they think about you. And the only way you can ever arrive at a strong emotional center is to stop caring about what the world thinks about you. It doesn't mean you live recklessly, but to stop caring what the world thinks about you and start healing your own self by being honest about your shortcomings and the things that you have felt that make you feel shame or guilt or remorse or whatever. And that's where healing starts. And again, that's what came back to my own life is like these things that I'm carrying, they're my fault. And here they are to the world. And like, once you do that, you can start releasing it. People don't realize the, the first part about releasing any of that stuff is just admitting it. If you're an alcoholic, what's the first thing to tell you that you have to do? You have to admit it, right? You have to admit it and then stand up and say it. And that's a hard step for people, right? Because everybody loves to say, I'm actually a really good person. And 
sometimes we are and sometimes we're shitty human beings and we do shitty things to other human beings right and people don't like to they like to sugarcoat those those areas rather than go man i was a really shitty person and i did a really shitty thing and sometimes like that still happens but people don't like to admit those things how do you start gravitating away from that into living a more authentic life where you can wake up and feel good about who you are every day is about continuously admitting about what you're claiming ownership every day in your life and what you're claiming ownership of is what going to be what you project and give out into the world and again it comes back that's what you're gonna get back each and every day too man it's so it's so true i'm so glad that we went down this route because it's not exactly what i'm sure people were expecting and it's not exactly what i had planned given that we are both in the fitness space but i'm so glad we went down this route because i do believe that everything we're talking about right now is actually what's missing so much inside of our industry and, and inside of just generally just people's life in general like not enough people talk about this stuff and i think that you know if you're going to be chasing strength or athleticism or aesthetics and body composition or health or any of these things for that matter i think that you're actually going to be more successful in each one of those endeavors and going down each one of those paths if you focus on these things we're talking about right now the mental side of things the relationship side of things strengthening your spirituality your emotional intelligence all these different things play such a massive role in actually improving health and body comp and performance and all those things that so many of us actually want on the outside um so but before i let you go man we gotta gotta give everything a shout out so where can everybody find all of your content and everything you're putting out because you got so much good information out there uh, clearly, at, at T Nation, um, Testosterone Nation, like I primarily write for them now, but I do a lot of stuff for bodybuilding.com now too. Um, Lift Run Bang on Instagram. I don't like I don't I don't do as much stuff out on um, on Lift Run Bang Facebook page anymore. Uh, and then of course, just on my Facebook page, I tend to write a lot of uh, I tend to write less training stuff. It's kind of like uh, my Instagram is a combination of training stuff and philosophical stuff, and then my Facebook page tends to be more of like just my philosophical writing or what's ever on my mind. But then yeah, training clearly goes to bodybuilding.com and teenation. So I've kind of managed to compartmentalize all these, these, these areas where my writing mechanisms are going to go. So that's, that's good. So those, those are all my places. But if you search for my, if you Google my name or lift run bang, you'll find me. I love it, man. I'll link all that stuff in the description, dude. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm sorry. Like a lot of people may not know, like the last time that this happened, um, like I, my phone had died and I didn't get the, uh, the notification and I was in the middle. Where was I at at the time? I was, I had something going on. Dallas. I was at a conference. Was it Dallas? Yeah. 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 Uh, we won't even get into that. That was a shit show. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, I just want to say thanks for having me back on and rescheduling and, and my absolute public apologies to, to you for dropping the ball on that one. I was glad that you were gracious enough to, to actually want want to have you back on about that so i appreciate it i love it man i'll link all that stuff on the uh, in the description below um and once again dude thank you so much for coming on the show all right guys that is a wrap i hope you enjoyed the show today a couple quick announcements before i let you go first and foremost i just want to encourage you to check out the products i have in the description first one is the nutrition hierarchy this is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet that's why it's called the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. 
The next thing is gonna be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.